When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Have you read a book recently that really resonated with you and makes you want to read more books like it? If so, submit a read-alike request to me through the Google form included in today's show notes and tell me why you loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads on a future Tuesday episode. If you are interested in reading some great books before they publish, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group to access digital early reads and pre-pub author chats as well as my new Traveling Galley program. For May, my early read selection is Banyan Moon by Tao Tai. For June, The Bones of the Story by Carol Goodman. And for July, The Book of Silver Linings by Nan Fisher. The link to join is in my show notes. Today I am chatting with Christina Lauren about the true love experiment. Christina Lauren is the combined pen name of longtime writing partners and best friends, Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings, The New York Times, USA Today, and number one internationally best-selling authors of the Beautiful and Wild Seasons series, Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating, My Favorite Half-Night Stand, The Unhoneymooners, and many others. You can find them online at christinalaurenbooks.com and on many of the social media platforms. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. And now for my read-alike request segment. While every book is unique and stands alone, certain elements of books we love really stick with us. While lots of websites use algorithms to try and recommend similar books, I rarely find that these recommendations make sense because they do not focus on what it is I liked about a particular book. That is what I want to tap into, the aspects of the book that appealed to the requester and to focus on finding those elements in other books. Today's request is from my neighbor, Nicole, and she selected The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell a clever and fun mystery that takes place on the set of a popular baking show. A dead body is found during the filming of a highly rated baking show at Grafton, an historical mansion in rural Vermont, and the main host's childhood home. For the 10th season of Bake Week, host Betsy Martin is less than thrilled to be sharing the spotlight with cutting board host Archie Morris while filming the episodes at her own home. When small things start going awry on day one, like salt replacing sugar in a canister, no one thinks twice about it. But when a dead body is found, the contestants realize that something more sinister is at play. 
Nicole chose the book for our neighborhood book club and liked it because it was a murder mystery with several characters of different backgrounds and personalities. She also thought it was a fun read, which she really enjoys. My first recommendation is Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayburn. This delightful mystery stars four women, Billy, Mary Alice, Helen, and Natalie, who have been employed by the museum, an elite network of assassins, for four decades. When the museum sends them on a fabulous vacation to celebrate their retirement, the women quickly determine that their trip is a ruse because they are being targeted by someone within the museum due to the work they have done for the organization over the years. I think this is a great read-alike for The Golden Spoon because the stories are both told from various points of view, are both really fun mysteries, and include humor as well as engaging mysteries to be solved. My next recommendation is I Love It When You Lie by Kristen Bird. This mystery stars the Williams sisters who are preparing to bury their grandmother after her unexpected passing. In the midst of their planning, the women are struggling with their own complicated issues and the messy men in their lives, one of whom they end up putting into the coffin with their grandmother. Told over the period of several days and toggling back and forth between characters and time, the story slowly unfolds as a reader tries to guess who has gone missing. And that is what makes this a great read-alike for The Golden Spoon. Because in that story, you also do not know who has gone missing or who has been murdered until close to the end. In addition, both books are told from numerous points of view with a wide range of personalities, and there is humor woven into each story, but neither is very heavy. The last recommendation for a read-alike for The Golden Spoon is Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Satantu, which is similar in tone to The Golden Spoon. Vera Wong is a laugh-out-loud mystery set in San Francisco's Chinatown. When 60-year-old Vera finds a dead body in her tea shop, she calls the police, but not until after taking a flash drive from the dead man's hand and hiding it. Frustrated with the police's investigative work, it looks nothing like how the cops on TV solve cases, she decides to do a little detective work herself. Corralling the four individuals who stop by the shop following the body's discovery, Vera works to crack the case while inadvertently making new friends with the people she is sure are suspects. Vera Wong shares a similar tone and feel with The Golden Spoon and is a ball to read as well, making it a close read-alike for The Golden Spoon. Several other mysteries which are not quite as light but are told from multiple points of view are Shiver by Allie Reynolds, One of the Girls by Lucy Clark, and Hostage by Claire McIntosh. All three would be great read-alikes that are in a darker vein. Thanks, Nicole, for submitting a read-alike request, and I hope you enjoy these recommendations. And now, on to my conversation with Christina Lauren. Welcome, Christina and Lauren. How are you two today? Hi. Yeah, we're doing great. Hello. Thanks for having us. I'm so glad you're both here because I have never chatted with you before, and I absolutely loved the True Love Experiment, and I cannot wait to talk about it. Well, thank you for having us. We are super excited to be here. <laughs> yes. And the reviews have been phenomenal. I was just looking and you have a starred review from Kirkus, something everybody dreams about getting. Yeah. I mean, Kirkus has, you know, sort of historically been not uh, a huge fan of romance. And I feel like that's really changing in the last mm -hmm. few years. So it's been really nice to see that support coming in from the trades. I agree. Well, I think it's hard to ignore romance because it's such a large part of the market and so many great titles are coming out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you walk into any bookstore, you know, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstore, whatever, it, it used to be romance was sort of tucked into the back of the store. And now you just have tables right in the front with all these brightly colored covers. So that's kind of a nice change. It just occurred to me too, that I should say I this is Lauren's voice because there's two of us and the other one is Christina. <laughs> that's a great idea. I should have thought to ask you all to do that too. So I'm glad you did. 
Well, I always ask authors to give me a quick synopsis of their books as we start out for those that won't have read it yet. So would one of you give me a quick synopsis of The True Love Experiment? Sure. Okay. So again, this is Lauren. Um, So The True Love Experiment is about Fizzy, who is a romance author, and she is creatively very stuck. She has lost her joy, which makes it hard to write happily ever after. She sort of realizes she has never been in love. And so it's increasingly hard for her to feel like she can write that convincingly. Connor is a TV producer. And he usually does like marine biology documentaries. <laughs> and so his boss, who is very money-minded, has asked Connor to create a reality dating show, which is completely out of his wheelhouse. And he goes to his ex-wife's house, sees all of Fizzy's books on the bookshelf and thinks, wouldn't it be great if I could find, if I could find a soulmate for the queen of romance herself? And so he decides to cast Fizzy in the show. And in the process, the two of them maybe fall in love. And Fizzy showed up in another one of your books in the past, right? The Soulmate Equation? Yes. So in The Soulmate Equation, which this book, it stands completely on its own. You don't have to read The Soulmate Equation. But if you want, you know, a little more into the world and into the kind of process that they build the show around, then The Soulmate Equation is great. So in The Soulmate Equation, it's about Jess and River. Uh, Jess is a single mom. River has this sort of tech, he's a scientist and he creates this company that basically finds people's soulmate through their DNA and not that they are alike, but that they are compatible. And, you know, he starts this company and Fizzy is Jess's best friend who kind of is like, don't you want to do this? I want to do this. Let's do this. And so they go and they do it. And Jess and River find out that they are in like the absolute top, 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 top tier compatibility, even though they don't like each other. So that's sort of the backstory behind that. And what was that like, taking the sidekick character and writing her story? You know, we hadn't planned to write Fizzy's story. We wrote The Soulmate Equation, and that was that. We really loved writing that book. It was one of the most satisfying creative experiences we've had because it kind of came out exactly the way we wanted it to. And then we went on book tour, a virtual book tour in 2021, and at Honestly, every single event, uh, a reader would ask us, when is Fizzy getting her own book? And the thing is, you know, you create side characters for a reason, like they provide comic relief, or they provide a challenge to the hero or heroine that they need to overcome, or they are sort of the sounding board. But we didn't create Fizzy thinking that she would eventually get her own book. And so the challenge when we sat down to do that was what is her story and how do we replicate her magic on page in the soulmate equation as a main character when you get to see all of her, you know, scars and vulnerabilities and inside her mind. Um, She's not just there to make you laugh. So we were worried that it would be really hard. But the truth is, the second we started writing her, she was so clearly there. And the real challenge for us became, how on earth are we going to create a hero who deserves her. And so that was kind of a fun puzzle to figure out who deserves Fizzy. I loved both Fizzy and Connor. So you did quite well coming up with somebody that's a good match for her. It's just such a fun book to read. Oh, thank you. This question may be a little bit different for this book because of what you just said. But when you sit down to start a new book, how do you decide who you're going to write about? What's going to happen? So I guess answer that generally, and then you can talk a little bit more if you want about it for this one. Um, so sometimes, so every book is different. If there's one thing we've learned, it's that every single book is different. Sometimes it starts with the idea. So I think Soulmate Equation, we had the idea for the story before we had 
the characters. Other times we have an idea for this character. I, I think like Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating, I think we had the idea for Hazel first, but I, I could be wrong on that. We always have like one thing and, and it kind of grows from there. So if you want to know like what our process is like, we, so for people who don't know, I live in Utah and Lo lives in California. So we, and we're very lucky that our job means that we are also best friends and we get to see each other a lot. So we always try to outline our books together in person because it's just, it, it, it's like a, it takes a couple of days and it just, the, that's how the magic sort of happens. Uh, we outline the books together and then we divide them up by point of view or chapters or whatever, however we're going to do it. And then we start combining them and edit and edit and edit and edit and edit. So this one is a little bit different because we knew we had to write Fizzy. So we knew so much about Fizzy, but we didn't know like what her story was like, you know, in those layers. She's so fun and in Soulmate Equation, she just seems like she's got her life all together. So it was harder to find out what her story was what her vulnerabilities were. And even harder than Fizzy was Connor, because once we really knew who Fizzy was and what her story was, it was like, how do you write a hero that deserves this sort of like effervescent unicorn of a character, if that makes sense? It absolutely does. And I'd love to back up a tiny bit more because we've never chatted together before. How did you decide to write under the name Christina Lauren? So Christina and I met in 2009. We were both writing fan fiction online. We had other full-time jobs. We had young kids. We had, you know, full busy lives, but we both just happened to have this hobby of writing. So we started writing together just to do a, like a short story collaboration in the fandom we were writing for. And we met in person at Comic-Con that year. Um, it was really fun. And we decided to write together and we, we decided to go from sort of make the leap from fan fiction to writing books. And it took us a while to write the book. It Then after you finish a manuscript, you have to query agents because you can't, like we couldn't just send our book to Simon & Schuster and be like, hey, want to publish us? You have to have an agent take it to a specific editor. So once we signed our agent, she was like, well, what pen name do you want to use? And I personally at the time didn't like reading co-authored books very much because they always felt to me a little bit disjointed. I was always maybe mentally looking for the places where you could see a switch in voice. And so whether the authors were amazing or not, like I always just sort of felt like I was waiting for one chapter to not be as good as another or that kind of thing. And so, you know, we talked about it and we were like, let's just make it one name because we work so hard for our books to feel like one voice, to feel like they've been written by one, one set of hands. And so that's Lauren Christina sounded a little Soap opera. <laughs> so we were like, let's do Christina Lauren. And what's great is, you know, when we're published in some of the Slavic countries, we get to be Christina Lorenova. So that's very fancy. And I'm super into it. <laughs> so. Okay, I love that. <laughs> I'm always so fascinated with exactly what you were just describing. When two authors are writing together, whether they put both of their names on the book, or whether they come up with a pen name that's a combination. So I just always am curious on the origin stories. Yeah, I mean, and you know, for some some author duos, it really makes sense for them to do that. David Levithan, Rachel Cohen, John Green, they all have independent careers, so it makes sense for them to put both their names on there. And then you expect that you are going to get a David Levithan chapter and a John Green chapter, and they will feel very different, right? But when we were a debut and we wanted to make sure that our books were reaching a romance audience that sort of really connects to the characters in a specific way. We didn't want it to feel, we didn't want that to be a distraction, if that makes sense. 
And at the time, there just weren't that many people co-authoring romance. Now there's a ton of them. And it's very, it works really well. And people do it with all kinds of pen name combinations. But at the time, it was kind of a different thing we were doing. And we just didn't want that to get in anybody's way of enjoying the book. Mm -hmm. I get that. I think that co-authoring is becoming more popular across all the genres. There's a lot of it in historical fiction now, some in thrillers. It's interesting, but I read a lot of the three W's, they call themselves, uh, Lauren Willig and Karen White and Beatrice Williams. And I am always trying to figure out who's written which chapter in the ones they write together. So that's actually a really good point. (laughs) I'm always like, okay, who wrote this and who wrote this character and what happened? So it's just kind of fun to puzzle it out, but it can be a little distracting too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now the really important question. You guys include steamy scenes in your book, some steamier than others. Who writes all the steam? I mean, so we both write them. Lo, I think, is just better at writing the sex scenes, and she loves it. So if she's like, I'm going to write this. I'm like, knock yourself out. I don't know if I'm better necessarily. I definitely think that like, when we want to, it just depends on the style of the characters. And I think, you know, that's, it's, it's one of those things where one of us will draft it and the other will edit it. So at the end of that scene, it's both of us are in there, you know? Yeah. But yeah, our styles are different. If we want to do like super steamy and saucy, I think Christina is like, she's great at that because she sort of just puts on her like mental earmuffs and just like types it out, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's really fun to write romance with a partner because you kind of get everybody's strengths coming in. And also the like, the more subtle, not closed door, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the more vague sex scenes, I think are actually way harder to write, to write them and write them well, and to have them still be interesting. And uh, Lo was so, I mean, listen, Lo can write some sex scenes, but like she, (laughs) she also, she's also really good at writing those, like the ones that are a little more vague and just so like intimate. Mm-hmm. she's so good at it. it's it's really hard to do that I remember we had a book Sweet Filthy Boy where the point was it is a bad sex scene and because she's like she's stressing herself out and making herself anxious and it's like she cannot enjoy it because of that and has to sort of be told like you know relax and it was so hard to write a bad awkward <laughs> sex scene harder than you would think everybody loves that scene that you wrote like you I remember you being it's so hard to write intentionally bad intimacy. (laughs) And then at the end of the day, when that book came out, so many people really related to that scene because the premise there is that they kind of get married impulsively in Vegas. Their whole group of friends marries each other and they're the only ones that stay together. And he's like, just give it a shot. Come back to Paris with me for the summer. And so that idea sounds so romantic and so easy. But once they get to France together, she's sort of like, you are a stranger. I don't speak this language. I am a fish out of water to the 10th degree. And so they kind of, and she's sick when she arrives. So like they have this sort of like, they're trying to reconnect. And the first time they do that, it's just a disaster. And so readers really love that because I think we get a lot of those romance novels where it's like, come to Sicily with me for the summer. And it's like, everything is perfect and whatever. And it's like, that's just not real life. Mm -hmm. Like it would be very hard outside of a hotel in this like random dude's apartment in Paris. Exactly. Who are you? Well, how do you decide how steamy a book is going to be? It totally depends on the characters. I sort of think I'm like a little bit of a sex scene snob. And I say this because I have been reading low sex scenes for 13 years or something now. And she is so good at not just describing 
the physical aspects of it, but describing all the little like emotional things that go into it and what you're, what they're hearing and what they're seeing and how this is going to, because it's not just what's happening, you know, slot A and B and, you know, all of those things. It is like, what is this thing that we're doing going to change and how is it going to change me and what happens tomorrow and all those things. And so that has to fit the characters because nothing in the world takes me out more than when I am reading something where somebody is supposed to be this like naive or kind of quiet, gentle person. And then suddenly they're like, you know, reverse cowgirl and saying all of this like terrible, Uh filthy, filthy stuff. So it has to fit the characters. It has to be in line with their thought process and everything. Now, granted, some people are behind closed doors, a completely different person. But like, it's still when you are reading, you are in that character's head and what's happening has to fit for me. If it doesn't, that is my biggest turnoff. Well, also, there's a couple words I don't like, but that's a different conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. And I there are a couple words I don't like either, but that probably is a different conversation. But that makes sense that you don't want to be pulled out of the story. Yeah, yeah. Well, you touched on this a little bit, Lauren, already. But one of the questions I had for you all was how you balance each other. I mean, I think, you know, when we first started back in 2009 and writing books together in 2010, our philosophy was like, we do everything together. We write together, we edit together, we promote together, we travel together, like all of it is exactly shared. And for the most part, that is how we do it. But you're right that we are two different people. And so we have different strengths. And one thing Christina is very good at that I am traditionally not good at is making sure there's enough happening in each book. One of my sort of, I think my shortcomings is I could write the hell out of a book where there's just two people in a room together having conversations and falling in love. I would write that book perfectly, but nobody wants to read 300 pages of two people in a hotel room having conversations and falling in love. You need to have conflicts, both internal and external. And so Christina is really good at making sure there's enough story in our story. And I think one of the things that I tend to do better, like I said, is sort of the emotional progression, the emotional gut punches, kind of making you feel what the characters are feeling. And so we have books that have some great action or like something wilder has so much fun action. It's like an an action rom-com. And then we have books that have a lot of like external conflicts, such as you know, Sweet Filthy Boy is a good example, but also um, The Soulmate Equation, where Christina is really good at making sure there's enough sort of plot beats that we're hitting when we need to hit them. So I think that it's really such a superpower we have that there are two of us because, you know, I don't think we would be where we are if we didn't have that full constellation of skills. And the only way that I have the skills that I have as Christina Lauren is because Christina is here with me. So. Yeah, it's been really interesting over time, you know, sort of figuring out how to leverage our different strengths and to be proud of what we can do and being okay with the things that we can't do as well. I think that's, it's hard, but we're, you know, we've gotten there. If there is a scene that requires like just an epic gut punch or to just really, it's a complicated sort of nuanced thing of like getting an emotional point, but not beating the reader kind of over the head. It is all, it's going to be low. She just is like, she just is so good. Like, I don't think, I I always say my, the best part about being a Christina Lauren is that like, I get to read all of Lowe's stuff first. 
And it was true when we like first started writing together and it's even more true now. And so nothing makes me happier than when she is like, Christina will put this in here, (laughs) you know, because (laughs) she's so good at like, so at so many aspects of it. And it really is, you, you forget kind of like being an author is not just writing the book. It's like so many other things. And so it really is like having both of us, it really does give us just this extra edge that, you know, I, I take care of this, you take care of this, I take care of this. Oh, I couldn't do this. Okay, let me do it. More so than I think we ever thought about. We were, we're so insanely lucky because when we think about it, we were so naive going into this. We had no idea what like being an quote unquote author meant. It, we're just so like lucky to be where we are and to have each other and have like grown together in this. It's interesting too, because when, when writers are, you know, sitting down and facing the blank page, there's a lot of stress when you're thinking about the other end of that book, who is going to pick that book up in a store, who the audience is going to be. And especially once you have an established readership, you have that pressure of not wanting to let those dedicated readers down. And so we authors put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make sure our audience is happy and that we're giving our readers what they want. And one of the wonderful things about having a co-author is we get to write for an audience of one. You know, if Christina is happy with my chapter, then I'm happy. That's it. I'm writing for Christina. So I only have to think about making sure she likes it. I don't have to worry about what comes later because, you know, if Christina likes it, our readers are going to like it. We have proven that to each other. So it's just, it's a nice little pressure release valve, I think, too. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing I hadn't really thought about is it's wonderful to have each other when you're writing. But when you get past the point of the writing and the book is heading out into the world, there's still so much authors have to do. And to be able to share that and travel together and just divide up some of those responsibilities has to be really nice. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, like just like the promo you do for a book. I think sometimes people don't realize they just think it's like writing a book, but authors have to do such a big part of the other, like granted, we have a publisher who does the majority of all of that stuff. We see people like, you know, we're right now at a big event in DC where it's, there's like 150 authors or something and they sell sort of like a two day pass and readers get to go table to table to whichever author they want to see. And there's a bookseller and stuff. And it's great. It's like our sort of like work convention, you know? And we see people who are doing it by themselves. And we just like, oh, that'd be so hard. And we always have somebody next to us. We always have somebody on the flight, on tour. We always have somebody who's getting the good news and the bad news and, you know, sharing these things. And and it's, we are just like seriously so lucky to get to do this together. That really is such a benefit. And I get asked all the time by authors, especially ones that aren't with big publishing groups, well, how do I get my book out there? Because I think you think you write the book, you get it published, you're done. But that's just the beginning. I mean, there's so much work once the book is actually out there. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's just like the podcast. I mean, I can record the podcast, but I still have to promote it and talk about it. You know, it's just like anything. It's interesting because you don't always think about that back end of it when you're starting out. Yeah, absolutely. So I loved the reality TV setting. I really thought that added so much to the story. Was that something you all came up with from the beginning or once you were brainstorming who would be a good combo for Fizzy and you came up with Connor, this idea came about? How did all that happen? I think the show was there from the start because, you know, like I mentioned, readers were asking for a Fizzy book and we didn't want to do it just to do it. We had to have an idea that that sort of suited her and deserved her. And so once we had the idea that Fizzy has lost her spark 
And so she kind of takes a detour. She tries something different to, to figure it out. Um, the dating show felt like the perfect choice for that, just because of the sort of romance at author angle and kind of playing with that a little bit. I think the hard part was Christina and I don't actually watch a lot of reality TV. I watch like Alone and Survivor, but I don't, I haven't historically watched a lot of the reality dating shows. And so we had to do some research and get into that. And that's been really fun is like, what, what aspects do we like? What aspects would we do differently? And so I'm glad that you like that part of it because it was a balance too of wanting to make it feel like these characters, these heroes that she's dating on the show are real people, but not so real and wonderful that you would want her with one of them over Connor, right? So we did have to do some massaging of that in edits and that was really fun. You know, it was a really fun premise to play with. I have to say too, so I don't watch a lot of reality TV because it makes me very anxious. Because it's like completely unscripted. Anything could happen. And also, a lot of people on reality TV are sort of terrible. And that makes me very like stressed out. And so we had had this other thing that was going to happen in the story. And this just shows you how, like, how much books change. Where one of the characters was going to have this sort of like ulterior motive. And it was going to be kind of yucky. And in the end, we ended up cutting it. And I'm like so glad. Because we showed that we could have this like reality TV where for the most part people who make it are all like pretty great. They, the, any of them could have been like a good match for her. They're great guys. They're just not the right guy. Yeah. The only reality TV I watch is Amazing Race. So I was like, I don't ever watch any of the dating shows. I, mean, I think I watched The Bachelor like the first year, but I still thought it was just really fun to read about it. And I enjoy that as a plot device. I think that, you know, there's been several books recently that have used some type of reality TV as the plot device. And I think that's just so much fun. And I liked the way you created the show and each character having his own little nickname and everything. And then obviously no spoilers, but I loved the ending because as I was reading, I was like, now how is this going to end in a way that everybody is happy? And you just did it beautifully. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I will say, I think it's one of our best endings. And it was just, I think once we had the idea for how it would go, like we couldn't write it fast enough. Like it just was the most fun. Like you're racing to get to that point so that you can write there happily ever after. And sometimes what happens in romance is you feel like you're racing to the kiss, the first kiss. And then once you get to that, you have a little bit of an energy sag because you're like, oh, this thing I've been so excited to write is now done. And now I have to write the conflict part of this book, right? And that's like harder to do and hard just emotionally and, you know, make sure it reads right. And it's not exciting to like, find a way to break up your your characters and bring them back together. So mm-hmm. this one was really fun because it just felt like we were racing to get to that final scene. And it was so satisfying. And I'm going to say I did not write the last scene. Lo did. And I'm not like a crier when it comes to books and stuff. I tend to be like an emotional, like angry crier or that kind of thing. And I teared up so much reading the end because it was so just romantic so I'm very excited. I like keep telling people like, it's one of our best endings ever. I, you will arm wrestle if you don't agree, don't agree or something, but it's so good. And it's just such a good feeling to end a book feeling like that, that is exactly what we wanted. Well, and you mentioned having to write the conflict, which made me think about something I guess I hadn't really thought about in romance before. You're writing a conflict and you have to really balance it because you don't want it to be such a terrible conflict that the reader can't get past whatever that is mm-hmm. to then want them to be together again. So that has to be a little bit of a tricky thing sometimes too. 
Yeah. And that's usually the place where our books get the most editing once we finish drafting is making the conflict both believable. So you understand, I mean, sometimes in romance, usually the conflict breaks them up for a while. That isn't always true, but generally if your plot is the romance, the conflict will affect the romance, right? Right. And so you want them to struggle with this and to feel, you want the reader to feel like I side with this character. I understand where they're coming from, but also they're willing to forgive. And that's tricky. So there are some rules, some sort of, you know, genre rules you cannot break. Like the hero cannot cheat on the heroine and vice versa and have them get together at the end. That's like, you can't do that in romance. As a reader, I would have a hard time getting past that. So I do understand that, but I don't know all the genre rules, but that is something I would not like. Mm -hmm. So you have to have them betrayed somehow, but not betrayed so badly that they don't want to happily ever after. Yeah, that's, that's tough, I bet, sometimes. It's why you get a lot of miscommunication tropes, which is sort of frustrating as a reader, where it's like, he says one thing, but she hears it or interprets it wrong. And then she goes off the handle and is upset about this thing and doesn't speak to him for days. And it's all because she just didn't hear. It's like the threes company conflict where it's like somebody overhears something and they think it means something else, you know? Mm -hmm. I just totally dated myself with that reference, by the way, but. I loved that show and I watched it all the time. So (laughs) (laughs) not a problem. (laughs) Somebody was just talking about something else about that on Instagram today, not the threes company. They mentioned something else, the bangles, because she has a new book out, Susanna Hoffs. And they were like, I just dated myself asking for a favorite Bengals song. And I was like, well, you didn't date yourself to me. I like the Bengals. So. Yes. <laughs> I get that. Well, this is always a tough question, but do you have a favorite of your books? Do each of you have one that you just look back on and think, I just loved that book so much? I think we have favorites for different reasons. And like, if you were to ask us sort of like the book of our heart, we would probably pick autobiography just because it has pieces of each of us and it's very precious to us. Um, And so that would probably be it. But then like Love in Other Words is very close to low because it is like so much of it is taken from her like life growing up, the setting and sort of some of the circumstances and stuff. Uh, Josh and Hazel, I love so much because I was going through this period of just like am I supposed to be doing this? Am I good at this? Da, da, da. And then when we wrote that book, I was like, yes, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But this book, I think, feels more like the two of us together. Like Fizzy is not us by any stretch of the imagination, but Fizzy's feelings about her genre and her readers and fandom and fangirls and joy and all of those things are exactly like what we feel. And I don't know if I've ever been quite so excited to go on a book tour for a book as I am. I'm so excited to talk about this book. And so right now, I would probably say in that way, this one is probably my favorite. I think that if if somebody came up to us and said, I don't know where to start with your backlist because you have 29 books, what is the most Christina Lauren book of your entire catalog? I would give them this book. This is the most like, this is the Christina Lauren-iest book that we have ever <laughs> written. And I think that for that reason, I'm so proud because I feel like this captures so much of us just in this in the pages here. But you know, whenever we get asked this question, my answer usually is that my favorite book is whichever one we're working on right now. Because in order for a reader to fall in love with the characters, we have to first fall in love with them. And we have to just be obsessed with them while we're writing. Because if that energy doesn't, you know, isn't in the pages when we're writing, it won't be there when they're reading it. 
but I think it's pretty easy for me to say right now that Fizzy's book, that true love experiment is, is the, the best Christina Lauren, the best example of Christina Lauren that we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Well, the unhoneymooners was my favorite up until reading this one. And now they're neck and neck. Cause I just love the unhoneymooners. I recommend it to people still all the time. It's so much fun. And that's just a favorite trope of mine, but I equally love this one. So now they'll be neck and neck together. But see, unhoneymooners is like, we had the most fun making each other laugh during mm-hmm. that book. And I feel like it comes across. And I feel like you can tell in True Love Experiment that sort of how strongly we believe, kind of like practice what we're preaching in that book. Find the thing that brings you joy and like hold on to it. And so that makes me really happy that those two books are your favorite. What you're mentioning was actually one of my questions. I had a question asking you, you seem like you have so much fun writing these books and it really comes through in the true love experiment, but you'd already touched on that. So I wasn't going to ask it again, but I do feel like it shows how much you enjoy working together and writing these books. Yeah. I mean, it is honestly the best job. We are so lucky to do this. We have so much fun. And I mean, it's, which is not to say that we don't have hard times too, or the book that we're working on right now, we have started, this is the third time we have completely restarted this book three times because we need to get it right. We want to do right by these characters. And so, you know, we, we had a third of the book written and we realized it wasn't working. We trashed it. We got half of the book written. We realized it wasn't working. We trashed it and we just started over again. And now we're like, okay, this is right. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And so that situation is not fun, but imagine how much harder it would be if we were doing it by ourselves. It would just be the The self-doubt, I think, would be so much more crippling if you're working alone in that situation, because then you're like, well, how do I know what I'm doing is right? You know, at least we have somebody that we can like, did this make you laugh? Does this make you swoon? Are you getting heart flutters when you read this? Like, give me that feedback. So, but yeah, writing on Honeymooners, I don't think I've laughed that hard at work, like ever in my life. It was so fun. It's just such a sweet story. Like I said, I still pass it to people all the time. I'm like, well, if you just need a fun romance, this is it. Oh, thank you. But now I have two that I can do that. <laughs> so you mentioned your tour. Where can people find your tour? Um, so on our website, ChristinaLaurenBooks.com, we have a thing right on the front page that says tour events, or you can go to our event page. And then our publisher has a site that I am absolutely not going to be able to remember, but I can send it to you if you want to link it and stuff that has everything that has tour dates. We're doing like an indie pre-order thing where if people order from over, it's like 101 indie participating indie bookstores, they can get a, a, like a fizzy pen. So all of that is in one place. Or we post about it nonstop on Instagram, which is just Christina Lauren. Yeah. Okay, good. I know people always want to be able to find that and be able to find you on tour. So I figured it'd be nice to have that information. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, what have you two read recently that you recommend? So we are actually doing an event on this Friday with Maisie Eddings. She has a book out called The Plus One, and it's really wonderful. It's funny. The premise is this, the main character, Indira, her her brother is getting married. And just before she finds her boyfriend cheating on her and the boyfriend that she's on her is the cousin of the groom of the brother's future husband. So he will be at the wedding and sort of coincident with all this, the brother's best friend Jude has come back from sort of being 
traveling the world as a physician for a global health organization. And he has had a lot of trauma in that role. And so he's really struggling with a lot. And Indira is dealing with a lot. And it's a pretty simple premise. But the way that she handles the emotional complexity of what Jude is going through, and how Indira sort of helps him without like being having it be, you know, sort of like a an issue book or like a really heavy book. It's just really, it's handled with a very light touch. And I'm really impressed with her writing in it. So I'm really enjoying that right now. I'm going to go a different route. So a book that I am just finishing up the most recent is a series and it's not romance, but it has romantic elements. And that is Finlay Donovan is killing it. And it's by El Cosimino. And it is about a woman whose life is just completely falling apart. And she becomes an accidental hitman. And it's just so fun. And it's like to give you the premise, she is basically a writer and she is so far behind. She's gone through this terrible divorce. She has very small children and she's in a Panera talking to her friend about this. She writes like romantic suspense, talking about this premise where somebody gets killed and how she's going to do it and get away with it and this kind of stuff. And somebody overhears and think that thinks that she's an actual hitman. And basically she ends up sort of caught in this thing. And it's just so much fun. And there's like, there's kind of a love triangle thing. And it's just like such a great, fun, summer little, like, you'll laugh, you'll be like, holy crap, I can't believe she did that. It's just really fun. I recommend those audiobooks to everybody who asks for audiobook recommendations, because the narrator is a woman named um, Angela Daw. And she is perfect in these audiobooks. I, they are amazing. And they're just so fun. Lo and I always say, like... Soulmates don't just have to be romantic. And that book has like the best friendship, like the female friendship of like, uh, it has one of the best ones I've ever read. My older daughter loves that series and she always buys the new one on the day it comes out and just thinks it's so much fun. And that's great to know that the audio is good as well, because I get a lot of audio requests and I don't do a ton of audio. So it's always nice to hear when there are ones that people are recommending. Yes. Also, um, another good audio is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by, what is it? Gabrielle. Gabrielle Zevin. Yes, mm-hmm. that's a really good audio book. Okay, that's good to know. I love her books. Mm-hmm. So, and I actually haven't read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, but I've read everything else she's written and I just love them. Oh, it's wonderful. Especially because it's about like a, a, like not co-authors, but you know, they have a working, a partnership, a creative partnership. And to see all the ways that people do it wrong. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I actually, I really appreciate that book because I think it does a really interesting thing just briefly, which is like, it really shows how much storytelling is involved in video games now. And so, you you know, when you're coming at it from a perspective of like, we are writers, we write stories, you know, really seeing how much creativity goes into video game design. it, It was really cool to read that just like have an experience in a book about something I realized I didn't understand as well outside of books. I'm going to say too, because I just finished watching The Last of Us. That's what I was just going to say. So yeah, go ahead. And I've been listening to this podcast podcast called X-Ray Vision that it basically goes through every episode and breaks it down and hearing them talk about the different aspects of the storytelling and how, how closely like that the, the storyline in the game is so good that the show creators have followed it 
Mm-hmm. It's literally almost scene by scene by scene. Some of the dialogue is taken directly from it. And seeing that has been like really fascinating that I did not realize that how much storytelling and world building goes into some of these games. So it's been like, it's been really fascinating to listen to. My family was obsessed with The Last of Us. We watched it all. We watched the little five minute thing at the end of each one that talked about that, how close it hewed to the game, where it differed, the city changes, some of that. And then my middle daughter is the one that got us on it. She actually ended up buying the game. She's never played video games and bought the game and has been playing it a little bit and has been totally intrigued with what's different, what's the same. And most of it is very similar, but in terms of actually playing the game versus watching it on TV. And what a great show. Yeah, I'm not a game player and I actually wanted to. And then listening to this podcast has been so great. It's just like talking to a friend that's just as excited about something because there's like moments where they show you hints, like tiny things you might have missed in the show that are giving away these little tiny secrets. And it's actually been really good in like helping me as a writer, like these little seeds of foreshadowing that you don't think about. Like I wouldn't have thought I would have got it from that show that could in some way, you know, help my own books. So it's been really fun. I like that connection. Well, thank you both so much, Lauren and Christina, for joining me today. This was delightful. As I've said a thousand times already, I love the True Love Experiment, but I can't wait for everybody else to get to read it as well. And I appreciate your coming on my show. Thank you so much for having us. This was a ton of fun. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes. And luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts. And I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style. And together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling and all in approximately seven minutes. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.